You are listening to A Taste of Romumu, a Jcast Network podcast. For more information about Romumu, please visit romumu.org. For more information about the other Jcast Network podcasts and blogs, please visit jcastnetwork.org. So we're lighting a different torch tonight. We're lighting a different near tamid, a different flame. It isn't the flame of gold medals and silver medals and bronze medals. It isn't, it isn't the flame that is embroiled in controversy, justifiable controversy. It's a simple flame. It's a flame whose purpose is possibly the only real purpose for being here in some way. It's a flame that is at the core of the question, what's it all about? Why do I get up in the morning? What is it that is the existential coffee that awakens my soul, you know? Now you, unnamed person, you command the children of Israel that they bring to you a lecha, shemen zayit zach, that pure olive oil that has been crushed for illumination that it may be an eternal flame, a flame for all time, continuous, weekly, daily. And on this amazing verse, amazing for a number of reasons. One, because Moses has been the one spoken to throughout the book of Exodus. He will be spoken to for the book of Numbers, Bamidbar, and also in Deuteronomy and Devarim. And here in the only parsha in the Torah where his name isn't mentioned, and yet, in this Torah portion where his name is not mentioned, the Torah uses the most incredibly rare form of address. Ve'ata, and now as for you, knowing full well who the you is, but without naming him, the you that will not be named. Moshe is as palpably present in his absence, says Aviva Zornberg, as anywhere else in the Torah. Ve'ata, and as for you. Who is the you, Moshe? Now, as for you, says God, charge the children of Israel that they bring to you. The word elecha. Can you all hear that? Elecha? Yeah? Elecha means to you. Again, the you that we won't mention. The pink Moshe in the room, if you, as it were, you know. <laughs> as for you, let them bring to you this pure olive oil. And on the word elecha to you, the rabbis pick up on a very interesting anomaly or contrast with what has thus far been the MO, the literary MO of the Torah in describing the Mishkan, the tabernacle. Every other place when the tabernacle was being built in last week's Torah portion or being commanded to be built, v'asuli, yekhuli, li, 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 li. Li, li, li means to me. And who's me, God? Let them bring... To me, 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 God. And here, when it comes to the olive oil that will be the oil used for the menorah, for the candelabrum, let it be brought to whom? You. Who's the you? You know the you, right? 
And on this, the rabbis make a famous comment in God's name. Do I need the light, God asks rhetorically? I have no need for light. What need have I for the candelabrum? For your prayers, maybe. For your mitzvot, maybe. For your good deeds. Will you make me more perfect? Will you make me more infinite, omnipresent, omniscient, omnipotent? Will you give me anything to add to my degrees on my wall of divinity? I don't need your extra PhD. I'm God. Do I need the light? Let it be brought for you. Not just you, Moses, but to each and every one of us, to each and every one of you who call yourself an ata or an at. This light, say the rabbis, is for us. So that we may have energy, lahalot ner tamid, to be continually lit up. And that's the rub. We do need it. If we were saying that, we'd say, Ken, We do need the light. And we need it desperately. We need the light so badly because we are not sleepless. We are not the ones who are continually ignited. We go through ups and downs. Valleys and peaks. Do I need the light? Yeah. Because it's the nature of a human being to be extinguished frequently. It is the very nature of something that we do over and over and over and over again. Whether it's holding our beloved's hand. Whether it's our morning routine, our evening routine. Everything that we do more than once needs more light. I had a, a trip this past week. <clears throat> I went away to Israel, and I'm so happy to be back to see all of you. I missed you all. And Israel is that place where I wonder to myself, if I lived there every day, would it still be fresh for me? You know? Would I still be freaked out when I see Hebrew letters on soda cans Everything about it is both foreign and familiar at the same time. I miss it when I arrive, and I miss it when I leave. And I had a, a strange occurrence on the Shabbat morning. I was there with a group of rabbis, and I was still jet-lagged, and I woke up early. It was about 5 in the morning when I woke up. And I had this impulse to run out into Jerusalem and go to somewhere where they were praying. Right? I just figured somebody will be praying at 5 in the morning here in Jerusalem, right? So I waited. I kind of let that pass, and by like 7 or 30 or 8 o'clock, all of my rabbi friends were getting together to go find an interesting, creative, um, different synagogue to go to, kind of like many of you here tonight probably, going to like Romamu. They were going to the Temani, the Yemenite place. They were going all over the place. And I thought to myself, I don't want, I don't want to go with anybody. I want to go, I want to let God, I want to let the universe, I want to let spirit take me where it needs to go, right? 
So I walked out of the hotel, and within five minutes, I was standing in front of the neighborhood where I had had my bar mitzvah 32 years ago. Hadn't been back to that synagogue to pray in 32 years on a Saturday morning. It all happened so quickly. So I walked in. I'm not telling you where it was. I walked in, and it's a gorgeous synagogue. Achi is a makom mehamem. It's unbelievable. I'm sitting there, and it's all Americans, you know. So I felt at home. And we're praying, you know. And we get to this part of the davening, that every, the part of the prayer is that every Saturday morning when we're opening up the ark, we say, right? Rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. And I'm looking out the windows of the temple, and they're facing the walls of Jerusalem. And everybody is talking. Everybody is talking. I'm sitting there. I'm blown away. I'm in the shul that I, you know, I haven't been in the shul in 32 years. I had my bar mitzvah. I'm looking up where, they, where they're reading the Torah. I'm thinking, that's where this 13-year-old squeaky kid with his twin brother were trying to, you know, read the Torah. And I'm having a moment. <laughs> and and it gets, it, it's a deep moment because I'm feeling like, wow, how it's funny that we're, you know, singing these prayers for the broken Jerusalem, and here it is, it's rebuilt, and it's so beautiful through the windows, and they're talking. <laughs> Do we need the light? Anything that is perpetual, anything that becomes familiar, is in danger of losing its pinimiyut, its inner quality. Everything that becomes perpetually present and familiar loses its pnimiut, its inner quality. You can be standing in front of the love of your life and texting someone looking for her. You can be standing in the walls of Jerusalem saying, and you're discussing Kiddush. This is the perpetual problem of being a human being. It is a perpetual problem of being a religious human being. It is a perpetual problem of being a husband, a wife, a son, a daughter. In short, everything. means, do we need to be logged on? Do we need inspirational sources that reignite us, that revivify us, that remind us, that reconnect us? When people ask, what is a synagogue for? The simplest answer is, come on, baby, light my fire. <laughs> With all due respect to... I'm serious. We come to shul to be ignited. It's not a bar. It's not a restaurant. It's not a shul with a pool. It's not a place to become a member or to become identified. It isn't a place to become born again. It's a place where your heart can open and you can feel life streaming through you again. It's, it's a blood drive. 
We go to school to learn. We read books to become edified. Information is vital. We need aura. We need light. I spent five days studying texts, texts that I've seen before. Now I saw them in a different light, and they were beautiful, they were interesting, they were intricate, they were ornate. And every one of us as rabbis were waiting until Saturday night because on Saturday night there was going to be a special person with a guitar, and we were going to sit around shoulder to shoulder, and he wasn't going to instruct us about the guitar. He wasn't going to tell us a very philosophical explanation about why music opens the heart. He wasn't going to give us Rashi and the Ramban and the Orchayim. He just played the guitar, and he sang. And he started to sing, and 25 rabbis who were living here started to cry, all of us, because we wanted light, we wanted ore, and all that other stuff was beautiful, fancy ore, fancy light. But we needed, we needed this. And maybe everybody, and I'll just end like this, there's so much more to say, but I'll end like this. A great mystery surrounds this parsha every year. It's read around the time of Moses' death. This past week was the anniversary of Moses' death, Zion Adar. And, of course, I said earlier that he's not mentioned in the parsha, and some find that to be an interesting illusion. Both Moses dying during the week that we read the parsha, and, of course, he's not there. He's not present in the reading. But you understand now why he's not present, I think. Because the Torah didn't want to locate Moses as the one who needs the light. It wanted it to be every you that ever read this reading. Every person that ever opened this book and said the Atah and read it out loud and says, oh, me? Yeah, I need the light. I need the light of spiritual practices. I need the light of my community, the light of the songs. I need the light that comes when my heart is wide open. I need it. And so Moses isn't mentioned, maybe, because... Had Moses been mentioned, maybe I wouldn't have read myself in. Maybe it would have been Moses who had been spoken to, and not me, and not Howard, and not all of you. This week, God is saying to each and every one of us, rhetorically, do I need the light? And we're responding, no, God, you don't. We do. So on this weekend that begins a ceremony and a competition far away, where some of our fellow human beings who live in that country don't have the right to let their light shine, to be connected and to be in community. We remember the power of what it means to be lit, to be ignited, to be on fire for transformation, to be on fire for spirit and to make this world a better place. I would have to say absolutely yes.